0: Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of See Here Love with me, Melinda. But today it's something special and different because the tables are turning, have turned, will turn, because I'm actually going to be interviewed. I am not the host today, the host is actually Debbie Mulder, who you can find on social media. Hi, Debbie, welcome.
1: Oh, hi, Melinda! Thank you so much for having me.
0: For those that don't know you, because they're probably going, wait, wait a second, who's Debbie? Why is she interviewing you? Uh, can you give our audience a little bit about you, uh, what you do, and why? Why you think <laughs> you're interviewing me?
1: <laughs> Today and then we'll get into the reason. Yeah, exactly. absolutely, absolutely. Well, my name is Debbie Mulder. I am a registered psychotherapist. I've been a psychotherapist for about fifteen years now, and I've worked with uh, children, youth, families, couples, individuals, and primarily, a lot of my work has to do with with trauma. So. Why I feel that we're talking today is, you know, Melinda, you have gone through something and you've gone through many things in your life. But most recently, there has been an event that you have gone through. And I know that a lot of your audience and a lot of your friends and people that know you want to know Mm. what happened. And I am here to facilitate that conversation. I am here as somebody that, you know, also wants to know what happened. But we also want to talk about that processing that processing of what happened to you. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's
1: what I feel I'm here for today.
0: Exactly. And what's interesting I mean, for our listeners is that, you know, Debbie and I've just met recently. Debbie reached out to me um, through See Here Love. We, She is part of our SOS Summer Series. And, you know, Debbie, I think I, I mentioned this to you. I was thinking, who am I going to get to? talk with this through, talk with, you know, the last five months of what I've dealt with, what happened in February, which I know we'll get into more detail with. And after we talked, I just felt that you would be the right person. Uh, I think what's good too, is that you're kind of outside of my close inner circle. I think being a registered psychotherapist helps but I think just, I felt safe. And in that short time of us chatting, just felt like you could be trusted to hold the story and help me process it. And and you're right, uh, you know, a number of people have asked what's happened, what really did happen, uh, how are you doing now? And so I thought rather than trying to write all these different messages and emails, and social posts of so many different people. And I have done some on social media, but I haven't done Mm -hmm. it in detail. Why not do a conversation where we can just share everything. I can share everything. uh, And then we can talk through, you know, things that I'm dealing with. And I know that, you know, our listeners and viewers would resonate that might be going through the same thing. So that's why this up close and personal with Melinda Trauma and Recovery: What it, the title of this is with Debbie Mulder is is this special podcast? It's like a a special one off. Here it is, mm-hmm. podcast interview uh, for you know people who are interested to know more. So I'm so glad you're with me today. I'm so glad that we could have this conversation. And I'm also, I will be honest, Debbie, a little not I wouldn't say nervous, but I think. I don't think I fully process things, and so this might be really good for me to process with you a little bit um, along the journey. Versus like I've made it to the other side, and here's everything. But this is Absolutely. also could be part of you know the healing journey, and and hopefully, I mean, my hope, Debbie, is that this will really encourage encourage those that are either. Journeying with somebody as a caregiver through this, they're the caregiver, somebody who's Mm -hmm. going through something, a crisis or trauma, or somebody who's going through a trauma now, or somebody who's kind of out of it and just uh, wanting just some resource or additional care. So, I, you know, that's really my hope is that this is, is to help those that may be going through some of the same things that I've been through.
1: And I want to say thank you so much for for trusting me Melinda and and I you know you asked me and I didn't just say yes because I want to hear your story. I said yes because you're an advocate for mental health and you know the importance of dealing with your mental health and you also knew that you were going to have to process what happened. So I I 100% thought this was the best thing and for you and for for the audience as well to to hear this. So Uh, Thank you for trusting me with this. Well,
0: here we go, Debbie, here we go. So I think what we're (laughs) going to do is we're going to start with you asking me some questions and then at the end, I may have some additional questions about trauma or identifications and recovery, but maybe we'll just let you start up and then we'll kind of go from there um, with some thoughts I have and we can kind of make that a bit of a a, conversation conversation. I feel like it's like friend but help with a professional and then friend. So anyway, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So go for it. it you are now All right. the host.
1: <laughs> okay. It's turned over to me. Perfect. It, All yes. right. <laughs> great. 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 You know, I, I we'll get into the whole definition of trauma um a little bit later, but let's just kind of take a look back in time, Melinda. If you can take us back to February. 2022, this year, five months ago, what happened? Where do you like? What? You start from the beginning?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. So <clears throat> I had early February of yeah, 2022. I had some pain in what I believe to be the upper part of my jaw and tooth, which I thought, oh, it could be a cavity. Mm-hmm. It could be something like that. So booked myself in with a dentist and they had me in and they realized it's not a cavity. It's actually an old filling that needs to be replaced with a new filling. So at the top tooth in my mouth, it wasn't actually the same tooth, but it was a back tooth. And they took out this old filling and replaced it with a new filling. And that was on a Tuesday.
1: That's a basic dental procedure. It
0: was a basic procedure, old, new, yeah. that's that's the pain so that was a tuesday by wednesday i i can't really eat i it, it was like a, a lockjaw. my mouth couldn't really open i was in i was in a bit of pain uh it was my husband's birthday and so we went um out with my parents and i i remember thinking oh i can only eat like soft fish because i really can't open my mouth this is this isn't good and i was sort of popping tylenol and advil just thinking oh it's it's just pain. Mm -hmm. So I kind of pushed myself through and and that's another interesting conversation where you're just like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Just take your Tylenol. It's fine. On Thursday I had, uh, some interviews in studio and my mouth was hurting, but again, I'm like, well, I've got two important interviews in studio. Got to push through I'll pop some more Tylenol and Advil. And I'll just kind of like push through, um, But I was starting to get into a lot of pain. And uh, by Thursday night, I realized I got to go back to the dentist. I think the cavity wasn't filed down. And sometimes when a cavity isn't filed down to the, you know, that kind of equals your tooth, it can hurt. So Friday I went in and I could not open my mouth. And they said, you have basically lockjaw or it's called Trismus. Um, It will subside, but we'll file down the tooth. And so I'm like, okay. Clearly my mouth was hurting because my mouth was open as they were doing the cavity, you know, cavity. I have locked okay. jaw and I have, they've now filed it down. Well, by that night, Debbie, I'm now not good at all. I'm in pain. Um, I have some swelling, but I'm in pain. And pain
1: husband, in, your, in your jaw and your face just in my mouth, I'm still yeah.
0: feeling like okay. locked jaw. And then I'm thinking again, well, they just filed my tooth it's probably that it's agitated it. But my husband and my family were like, I think you should go to emergency on the Saturday. So I go to emergency on the Saturday. Uh, I'm not doing well. And the emergency says, you know what? We're going to send you home with antibiotics. um, And that should subside because you've got a bit of an infection, but we, we believe that it can be healed with antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So, that night, they call a nursing station near my house, and they say, we got you in on Sunday morning to see a nurse. The nurses will be coming in three times a day to administer antibiotics. They, they had put already, like, a, a tube in my arm for the antibiotics. So that mm-hmm. morning on Sunday, I go and see the nurse, and this is an interesting kind of addition to the story, especially as it, as it, as it pertains to my husband— and I go in to the nursing station, and they're coming out with you know, antibiotics, and they ask me, where's your husband? I said, well, he dropped me off. He went to Tim Hortons, which is a our popular coffee shop here in Canada, and they say we need him back uh, because due to COVID, we don't have enough nurses to administer your antibiotics, so your husband's going to have to do that now at home. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Debbie— Oh, oh my, my gosh. What do you mean he has to do it? Now, the tube is in me, but he has to now inject me with this kind of syringe needle with the antibiotics and also flush me out. And just, I think, psychologically, and as you see it, it's not great. So Whoa. I call him. He comes in. He's like, what am, what am I doing here? Comes in, and, then, and he's holding his Tim Hortons coffee. And I said, the nurse says, you have to do this you have to actually now do this and put this in my arm. And both of us were like, oh my gosh. Like it was that even moment wasn't great because now I'm like, we have to take these antibiotics home with us. Now we have to, you know, Chris has to now administer them to me like three times a day and then make sure I don't get infected. He's never done this. He's not a nurse and he's pushing antibiotics into this, thing in my arm and then having to like flush it out after and then making sure that the tubes were like we don't know we're getting a five minute crash course I'm not kidding he just went for coffee oh my goodness he just went for coffee (laughs) exactly Chris would say that he dropped me off and so that was interesting about how COVID and the pandemic have really hit our nurses and so from Sunday Monday he's doing that and I'm not feeling great. It, it felt like I was doing better and I wasn't feeling great. And by Tuesday, I'm not good. Even though the antibiotics were in me, I'm not good. And you're still Chris, still feeling I, the
1: same or you're feeling I'm, worse? I'm
0: feeling, I, I start feeling worse. Uh, it's, it feels like I'm more infected. My mouth, I still can't eat. I, my body, I'm not feeling well. And so he brings me to emerge. And again, because it was sort of the end I mean, we're still in COVID. They wouldn't allow anybody to be in emergency with you. So he dropped me off. And again, I think we were just thinking maybe it's antibiotics or maybe I was thinking it's just going to be another antibiotics. I don't know. They send me into triage. A doctor comes in to see me, gets a second opinion. The next thing I know, a nurse is like basically stripped down. You've got to put this this um, robe on and a porter comes in with a bed and and they're like, we're taking you into emergency surgery. Now it's nighttime. And I'm like, what do you mean emergency surgery? And they're like, no, it's serious. We got to get you in emergency surgery. And I'm still not quite sure what's going on. They take me three floors up and I call my husband, Chris, and I'm like, what? I don't know what's going on. What's happening. I have to go to surgery. I start shaking Debbie. The yeah, nurse is trying yeah. to calm me down. Um, I don't know what's happening. I I just remember Chris knowing and maybe the nurse talking to him. And then I go into surgery and I remember thinking, which is so funny. I looked at the nurse as I'm on the bed and they're kind of like knocking me out. And I'm like, yeah. I have a youth conference to do this weekend. Oh. Will I be able to make it? And she looked at me and this is the heart of the nurse, but she says, I don't care about the youth right now. We care about oh. you. And basically, yeah. I don't know if she said care about you or saving your life. And then I'm out. Oh, next thing and I that's know, what you
1: remember. That's the that's last thing remember. that you remember.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. So then I wake up and I don't remember this. If I called Chris, my husband or the nurse, but the next thing you know, I'm in ICU. And I'm in ICU that night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And ICU, okay. I mean, the nurses were amazing, but it's not great place. It's all I remember is needles in me morphine yeah. bags, saline. I, they didn't feed me. They just wanted me on like, you know, saline, antibiotics, blood testing, blood thinners, always kind of dark. It, four yeah, it was Tuesday four days. Yeah. Tuesday night. Yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday.
1: Okay,
0: and I didn't really know how serious it was Debbie. Um, I think Chris and my family knew I am grateful. They didn't say anything to me, but by Friday, the director of ICU came in and said, do you know why you've been here? And I kind of was like, no, I don't, not really. And he leaned against my bed and just said, we basically had to save your life. And I didn't know to the extent I just thought I might've had a tooth infection. But what I found out was that my, I had swollen up like goiter size on my neck, which was impeding on my airway, uh, the infection was too close to my brain. And so they were afraid that the infection could have gone to my brain and I could have died. They also believe that if they hadn't gotten the infection out, I could have gone septic. And then the other one is just that if the infection had come into my airway, I would have stopped breathing. So that's why they were
1: fearful for your life.
0: Yes. So they had to cut a, a hole into underneath my chin to drain out the fluid. Um, and, and get, get it out. So that was the Friday. And then by the Saturday they said, you know, we think you're okay. We can release you from ICU, but we need to keep you in the hospital because you're going to start eating and we need to make sure that you can eat when you swallow. So they kept me in the hospital for another four days, but as I was being released, they told me that there could be more infection and they've booked me in with an oral surgeon the next day after I was released to meet with them. So, you know, in all the hospital time, it, you know, I, I can't eat, I'm in pain, I'm bandaged, I'm on morphine. And so I go to the oral surgeon the next day, which wasn't great at all, that was even worse. And they say, yes, they didn't get all the infection out. We need you to go back in and we need to insert a tube in your mouth to get the other infection. So All back into is, the hospital. So back into the actual, the oral surgeon's
1: oh, okay. place, because
0: it's like that. Yeah. And they said, um, we need to go put you back under again, get more the infection out. And I remember crying, breaking down crying in the oral surgeon's office, because I'm like, I can't do this. But after talking to some other professionals in my family, they're like, Mel, you got to go in and do this. So then following Monday, they inserted a tube put me under in my mouth to drain out the the rest of the infection. Three days after that, um, I go back and they find out I have a, uh, another infection in my mouth and they have to um, get rid of an abscessed tooth and they put me out for that and get rid of my tooth. And then it was just recovery. But I will say, I mean... Eating soup for weeks, not being able to walk, you know, seeing Chris, um, yeah, just having to care for me. It, there was a lot of things, but in the end, uh, right now as a present, um, I have been released from my older surgeon. There is no more infection. I don't mm. have locked job, which is incredible because yeah. I couldn't talk or do what <laughs> I do.
2: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: but I still, my mouth is still not a hundred percent and I'm still trying to process a lot of things, but as far as what happened, that is what happened. And, um, yeah, I, I think I didn't realize how, um, serious it was until, you know, Dr. Proger came to me and said it. Um, and I think that's when things were like, wow, psychologically, I think that's when things got a little harder.
1: Do you remember what you were feeling at that moment when the the director <laughs> comes to you and says, "We had to save your life what do you remember what you were mm-hmm. thinking what you were feeling?
0: I was shocked i I mean I'm trying to remember I know Chris came every day, and then one time my girlfriend came to talk to me, and I'm trying to remember if he told me how serious it was. I don't think so, maybe, but you know I see it was pretty dark like I was sort of yeah. he'd come and i remember stuff and I fall asleep and I can't remember a lot. But when Dr. Proger came in, the director of ICU, which is the big guy. Yeah. I think I was shocked. I think, I don't remember. I think if I started crying or feeling really vulnerable, but I don't think, I think that's the first time I really realized that I could have, I could have died. Um, that it was that serious, you know? Cause I think for me, Debbie, I'm like, take the Tylenol, take the Advil, keep going, Yeah, Yeah. you know,
1: that's what we do. I'm okay.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Go Um, to the youth
1: convention, power through.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that that was sort of like, it startled me. It kind of like, I think emotionally, even physically, I think I was like, I physically moved and was shocked by that, that it was that serious. And I don't think I really realized it.
1: I want to know about your recovery process, but I wonder about even just talking about it right now and talking about what happened to you in in just, even in the last 15 minutes, what do you feel?
0: (sighs) Even talking about it with you now, there are moments when I share about it with you, Debbie, that I feel a little removed because it seems so long ago and I'm now in a healthier place But there are still moments of vulnerability and, um, and vulnerability meaning feeling like I was so vulnerable in, you know, when I think about going to the dentist and getting my cavity, which is, I've had happen for years, how something so usual could turn into this where I could have died or not even that. If something had happened to my mouth, which is my livelihood, I actually think of that too, what would that have looked like if it had turned that way, where mm-hmm. I couldn't speak or something? I think that makes me have a moment to pause. I think talking to you um yeah, there's emotion in there, I think, partly because I'm so grateful to be alive, partly because so many people were praying for me and supported Chris and I, and just very practical things like food and Uber gift cards and support. And that's, that makes me emotional. But I also just think, um, that I'm here talking to you makes me emotional just because that I'm here. Like I, I actually made it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Mm you did we think about that recovery process i remember reading you know one of the posts when i guess you were taking a walk and for me it didn't really click that a cavity turns into learning how not learning but walking and figuring out how to walk and maybe having somebody and then learning how to walk on your own and taking it slow can you talk about that process in your recovery Mm -hmm. how was that for
0: you yeah, that was hard. I mean, the hard thing was they couldn't do anything, and Chris had to do everything. Like, that would be another show when you talk to Chris about his trauma through this. But, I mean, I, we have stairs coming up to the house. I couldn't walk them. He basically had to kind of, like, lift me. I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I could go the but, I mean, I just couldn't walk far. I'd be, like, winded. And so the first time I walked, you know, And, and the doctors were very clear. You have to keep moving or, or your, your muscles will atrophy and you don't want that. But I remember Chris walking me to the end of the block of our, you know, in our neighborhood and I had to hold on to him and I made it. And it was like a big deal. Like, because it, you know, after you've been through that, like I was kind of in bed, you know, at the hospital and then I just didn't move and everything just sort of went, you know, and, and then I had to kind of really force myself to walk around and everything. Um, yeah, it was, that was weird. I mean, I'm, you know, I think, you know, I'm pretty independent, do my own thing. And so to rely on Chris or not have the full mobility is really hard, really difficult, um, really frustrating. Um And not just that, but then your mouth where it's like, I can't, you know, I'm like dreaming literally of like steak and lobster, (laughs) like a grilled cheese sandwich even because everything was soup and mashed potatoes and soft food. Um, and, and I think just too, the other part of just work where I, you know, I couldn't work. And so everybody, and that was interesting too, as a leader, like everybody else had to do and step into things, um, And that was amazing to see just how my team, you know, with See Her Love just really stepped in and stepped up. And I saw that with everybody. I mean, Chris was one, you know, an unbelievable caregiver um, and just had to, I mean, so many things from getting my meds to making sure I ate, making sure I got all my meds at the right time, buying my meds, coordinating people who wanted to stop by, coordinating the food for people. Like it was, there was so much and... I couldn't do anything. I, you know, I, it had to go to Chris or other people. Would uh, you
1: would you consider yourself, uh, independent? So you, you consider yourself a leader, but being able to do things, that's, is that something that you would say? Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I get things done.
0: Oh yeah. hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I'm a it's- doer. I make things happen. Uh, that's totally me like let's go here's the goal the vision here's how we're gonna implement it and you know i think that's part of the spirit of being an entrepreneur like even like launching a show like this you gotta have the plan make it happen every single season because it's all on you uh, to make that happen you've got great a team but you are the essentially you're the visionary the one with the ideas let's make it happen and so yeah, that was really hard for me, just to, like, not do anything.
1: And and not – you can't do anything. You want to be able to, but you can't. So that's no, entrusting other people to do right. that work for you.
0: Yeah. 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 And that was was that, and that was That was hard on one part, for sure, because I am a bit of a control freak and perfectionist. <laughs> but on the other side, you know, Debbie, I, in all honesty, it felt like – my body was kind of like, you've been going for so long through the pandemic, through a lot. It was like my body also, it it felt like even though I was going through this trauma recovery, it felt like it went, like it felt like almost like a forced stop. And I know I don't want to, you know, confuse anything with trauma and what I was feeling, but it also felt like in a way it was the only way for me to stop just going, 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 going in yeah. a way. Like my body just was like, we're done. You actually have to rest. You can't go out to, you know, the patios with your girlfriends. You can't go out and do stuff. You actually have to lie in bed and rest and sleep yeah. and rest. Now that was even hard, but I couldn't really do anything. So I had to, I had to like, let my body rest and heal. Yeah. And so that was big too. That was mm-hmm. really big.
1: Would you, would you say that God had a part to play in that where, you know, he's been telling you, but now you had to listen? Yeah.
0: You know, every experience in my life where there's been crisis and, and trauma, I've never really, I've never blamed God for it happening. I feel like it gives opportunity for me to lean in closer to him. And that's the beauty of things. So, you know, I'm not one to be like, Oh my gosh, he did it. God, where are you? God, I blame you. I think in life, these tragedies happen and things happen, but I think it's the choice of us as those, especially for those who follow Jesus to then decide, are we going to lean in to him, um, lean into people? Are we going to retreat Um, and be reclusive and blame and be angry. And Mm. I'm never one to sit and be angry. I know what anger does to people. I've seen it. I've, I've seen what happens when people are resentful or blame others. It doesn't do anybody any good, especially for the, for the person. And so, yeah, I had some really good moments of thoughtfulness and quietness with God. Um, you know, listen to worship music, had some good reading, had a lot of quiet time. Like even in the, in ICU and in the the other ward I was in, the nurses were always like, Hey, do you want to watch TV or anything? And and I tried it once and it was so distracting and it actually hurt my brain. I was like, no, I just need silence. Ooh. Which for me, usually I needed the stimulation, but I just, I just sat silently Um And the other thing too, Debbie, which was interesting is that when I was in the hospital, I met so many people, so many people stopped to talk to me in the hospital and visit me. People were telling me their life stories. People were just literally sitting at the edge of my bed, all ages from like nursing interns to the porters, to the food people, to nurses telling me their story. And I, I hope, I believe it, it could have been the light of Christ, even in my absolute sickness where people literally came up and just would come in my room and just talk to me, or I would just say hi. And they would just be like, Hey, and open up like in a second. And it was really amazing to connect with these incredible workers that are caring for people. Um, I know it's not perfect, but my experience with our Canadian healthcare system was unbelievable. The care And kindness and honestly, love I received was, I think was also part of the healing for me. But I also was like, here I am, I might as well be friends and, you know, share Jesus in the way I can. And I, I think I did. And a lot of different people were like, Hey, we're going to start watching, see her love. And it was really neat. So oh. there was so many, as much as it was really hard, there were so many really beautiful God moments for me, um, that I experienced. And I think that I, I hope, and maybe that was the point of what God was doing in those moments to say, Hey Mel, even though you can't move, you can still talk as you were getting better and you yes. can still extend kindness and love to people who were really struggling too. I mean, the nursing, it was hard. It was just kind of after the whole, you know, really bad pandemic. I mean, I can't even believe I got a room because if I was there a week or two prior, I wouldn't have gotten a room and emerge or in ICU probably. Oh my goodness. So I actually, the timing for me to get what I got in the care was amazing.
2: Hi, this is Becca, the associate producer of See Here Love, interrupting this great conversation to let you know that there are more shows and great content and blogs at seeherelove.com and our YouTube channel. Content to help you and give you tools as you care for your mental health, relationships, being single, being married, family issues, your self-confidence. We're here for you to help you find joy and small wins in your every day as we lean into relationship with Jesus and intentional community. So check us out at seeherelove.com, And if you want to help us keep making this kind of content, you can donate to us at seehearlove.com donate. And really, to keep Melinda and I working and with jobs, donate. And finally, if you found this episode inspiring, please take a moment to share it with someone who would enjoy it and to rate and review our podcast. It really helps. Now back to Melinda.
1: You know, yeah. people that know you personally are probably not surprised at your experience in the hospital and people coming to you and just you listening to the story because that that's who you are. But I also just want to say the fact that, you know, I was going to ask you if you're angry, if you're frustrated with God, if you were, you know, you still had all of that. And I think part of the reasons why I said yes to doing this is because you're not. And I know that's a place that we've got to get to. And I know that people can be angry when they're mm-hmm. dealing with traumatic situations, but just to hear from you as to why you're not and what you've had to go through and, and, and just, you know, you're still dealing with it, but the mind frame that you're in to deal with it. That's mm-hmm. why I said yes to this. And that's what people need to to hear this.
0: Thank you. I hope that, I mean, it's not perfect in that place, but I've, it's just so interesting seeing people as they go through similar situations, the one that is angry and upset and the one that is like, what, how can I create good out of this for me and others around me? Mm -hmm. And then watching those two lives and journeys happen. Um, And I want to be on the side of, you know, healing and learning and openness on what I can learn. And I know that just from my own life. I mean, so many things that I've dealt with and gone through have been hard and brutal and there've been deep sadness and there's been anger, but over and over, I've chosen not to dwell and sit on that because I don't want to be that person. It's like, here's my life. I don't want to be an angry person all my life. I don't want to hinder because of my anger and unforgiveness, what God has for me, what he has in store for me. And and in that, I'm sitting at my life now and I'm like, wow, I've gone through a lot of things and I'm not a bitter, angry woman. And I, I feel joy and I feel very deeply loved and able to love. And so I, yeah, I, I think that's comes with a, you know a lot of other different experiences even before this of where I'm at,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know you've spoken about this wonderful man named Chris <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh particularly in this recovery process, and you know i wanna I wanna talk about Chris for a little bit, sure, before we do, I want to mention something about trauma, and you know mm-hmm. traumas that is kind of that lasting response uh, that often results from living through a a distressing event, right? So, um, you know, a car accident or tornado, being hospitalized, emergency surgery, right? So we think, okay, trauma is about living through that event. And we also kind of have this misconception that trauma happens directly to you. But that's a misconception. Trauma doesn't necessarily have to happen directly to us. Mm -hmm. So here is your husband who just went to go get a coffee and then comes back and he's told he's got (laughs) to administer antibiotics to you like a nurse. Um, Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you call him and say I'm going into emergency surgery and then he's got to deal with that. And then you have a list of the things that he was doing. My goodness, Melinda. Right, mm-hmm. so trauma doesn't necessarily have to happen directly to you. You can still be traumatized by seeing someone that you love, by being, you know, just next to somebody that you care for, and experiencing that along with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when I think about trauma and what Chris is going through, I put him right there with you.
0: Can you yeah, talk about? Yeah, thank you for acknowledging this? that. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Um. I wanted him to come in. I'm looking over because my my door is open and he's here. Um, I was wanting him to come in and and hear from you, but maybe that's a different, that'll be a different show. And I'll have him listen to this, but I'm, I'm grateful that you acknowledge that, that he has experienced trauma as well. I mean, I think, you know, I think what happens too, is that it happened to me. And so everybody's, you know, all the focus was me. (laughs) Yeah. Pray for Melinda, care for Melinda. What does Melinda need? Melinda needs Melinda, Melinda, Melinda. And a Chris or a caregiver can be completely forgotten because it's like, well, that's what you'd have to do. That's what you need to do. You know, she's the one who almost died, but you've got to just make sure that she's okay. And, And I think, you know, as I look back, I think Chris got overlooked sometimes in the times that he really needed support. We actually did have some great, guy friends that helped him, but I think to be honest, there probably could have been more support for him Mm. emotionally. And, and, you know, as he was going through this, because it was not easy, like not only to hold that he knew before I did that I could die, but then he's carrying all of this and watching me and thinking, Oh my gosh, is she going to make it? She can't do anything, you know? And, and, him having to literally do everything like think for two people think for me too. Like, what does Mel need? Who do I need to call? Is it the right time? I can't, I have to set the alarm, um, so that she has her meds on time because I'd be out of it and he'd have to come in and go, Mel, wake up. You've got to take your meds, you know? So he's literally thinking for two people. Um, and yet his own needs and, you know, his own health wasn't great when I was going through this. And so he's trying to manage his own health issues, then putting those aside so that he could fully focus on me and trying mm. to work, right. um, and trying to do his own job. And I'm in the hospital and he's trying to come and coordinate work and then come to the hospital. Then when I'm home, you know, he couldn't leave me because the other thing is, you know, a couple of times I tried to get up out of bed or whatever, and I would fall and just silly things like that. Mm. Like, so partly what he was like, He could be at home to work, but he also had to be in the office. And then he couldn't leave me alone for a a while because I couldn't do anything. Like if anything were happening, I couldn't walk anywhere. I couldn't eat. I couldn't make anything. So, yeah, it was very, very hard for him. And I I believe even now, you know, he's in recovery because he has to deal with his own trauma. And so... Um, he's getting some care in a good way for him. But um, I know a lot of people don't acknowledge that. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And so I really respect that Chris has acknowledged that and is, and is getting help. But it wasn't easy. And I'm so grateful and thankful for him, like that he was committed to helping me, but also for his own recovery.
1: When I first spoke to you about this, you came to, you had already realized that Chris needs support too. Yeah. So it's You know, things happened to him while I was sick. My husband yeah. needs support as well. I mean, yeah. and oftentimes we go through trauma. We don't, we might not recognize that people mm-hmm. that are caring for us, the people that are family, the loved ones are going through things as well.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just Debbie a reminder for people that, you know, we're in a great community. And I mean, honestly, there was so much care and love for both of us, Yeah, but I think that, you know, even for our, you know, Kristen, and myself thinking about this with, you know, a situation that could happen to friends or family, you know, I think we're even more aware now of the care we need to give to the caregiver, not just the person that's going through it, but for that person that we need to make sure we check on them. We take them out. We find out what their needs are. We can, you know, relieve them from duty. And that was good. There were times where some of his buddies took him out and my girlfriends would come and sit with me while he went out with his, with his guy friends. Mm -hmm. And that was really good. So he could have that space. Um, there are other times where he had to go get like my medication. And one of his friends sat just in the living room so that there was always somebody with me so that I wasn't alone just in case. And that was meant more to us than anything, just to make sure that Chris could then go out and do what he needed to do. Yeah. it was really hard for him. I think, I think you're right. I thank you for acknowledging even that crazy antibiotic thing. That's right before I would even went to the hospital, but even that it's like, you're telling me to do something that we thought the nurses should do. And now right. I'm doing this and like, what if I do it wrong? And it impacts you in a bad way. And, you know, I mean, that even then itself is traumatic to right. insert that in me, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't Um, want to do it wrong. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to do it wrong. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So I think that was a big learning for us. Um, But I I appreciate that you acknowledging that trauma doesn't have to just be that it happened to the person like, but trauma is also, you know, in close proximity in that relationship as well can happen to the person, to the other person too.
1: Exactly. Imagine watching your loved one go through that.
0: Yeah. How that
1: might affect you. Absolutely. Ooh. So Melinda, I want i to know how you're feeling today.
0: Hmm.
1: How are you feeling today? You talked about not having jaw, which is great. You can, you can still be present, do what you need to do. But yeah. how are you feeling? Hmm.
0: It's a loaded question. You know, coming into this conversation, Debbie, I didn't know how to answer it because... There's a part of me, I'll be honest, that feels, did I go back to work too quickly? Should I have mm-hmm. had more recovery? If I didn't go back to work, would I have, like, been so bored? That wouldn't have been helpful either. Because I don't know, you know, what's the prescription and, right. and the, the best process for recovery, right? Um, right? I will be honest. I haven't had enough. I think rest, quiet time. My default, this is what Chris always says is like, I just keep busy. I'm very practical. I'm a doer. I make things happen. Um, I don't use the word hustle because, you know, hustle has some negative connotations in that way of, of motivation. I, I just, I love what I do and I make things happen. And I'm very much of a high output, high achiever, um, So as I say this, I actually am making myself feel anxious because Mm. I think I do, I think I do need more recovery, to be honest. I think when the oral surgeon a little while ago released me from seeing me again, and we, and he basically joked with me, said, oh, we're breaking up. You know, we don't have to see each other anymore. I burst into tears in the surgeon's office and-
2: what I kind of about? like
0: surprised myself. I don't know. I, I He goes, Mel, we're breaking up. You're clear. You're done. I did my last check. There's no infection. Um, you're really good. And so it's over. And I burst into tears, Debbie. I burst into tears. Oh. And it was like a relief. But also I think, I haven't processed this before, but there was a little bit of like, oh no, I don't have anybody that's going to keep checking on me in this because I think there still is a bit of trauma around my mouth. And sometimes I get freaked out about it. Like if something else will happen, because it seemed like things were just happening over and over and over again. Yes. And so there, I think there was two part, I think it was, Oh my gosh, he actually said we're done. And it was like five months later we're, we're done with any crisis or anything to my mouth. Yeah. But then on the other hand, there has been kind of a safety and comfort in going, even though it's traumatic. I know it sounds weird and it sounds weird in my brain, but that somebody's there to kind of keep checking on me that nothing else is going to happen.
1: Yep. And that's so normal. You know I mean? Yeah, no, that, okay, so normal.
0: It yeah. so weird when I just said it to you. Oh, I hadn't processed that, but totally get it. <laughs> that's <laughs> totally. kind of what I felt. Yeah. And then, um, I think also one thing I know and I know a lot of people have issues with dentists because of either real fears or not or things have happened to them. But there was a part of me that felt like by going, I was kind of doing my good teeth dental checkup. But Mm -hmm. when he did release me, he actually said, I don't think you need to go to a dentist right now. I think, you know, you need to kind of like figure out what your next step is, but you can't, he actually said, take your trauma and fear of dentists and never go again. You have to go back to a dentist because you need your checkups. It's, it's a health thing, but Mel, you need to work through that because I'm trying not to bring my trauma Debbie to the, to a dentist because I have to go. I cannot not see a dentist for the rest of my life, but I also don't want to be so terrified the next dentist appointment, or if I choose a new dentist, you know, we're still in the process of figuring that out, that I make myself sick about it and then don't go. So that's the other part of the process of just that, even just as a basic thing of going to a dentist, that is a big thing in my brain still.
1: I'm glad that you acknowledge that because trauma changes your brain. It changes the way you see things. And that's why we need to do the work to really be able to, um, you know, work with that part of our brain that has been changed. Hmm. So for you now, the association, um, so say, you know, somebody was, uh, I guess bitten by a snake or something like that. Right? right. And so, you know, your brain kind of associates any kind of snake or anything that looks like a snake with something that could hurt you. And it's hmm. working through that trauma and that change in your brain to help you be able to, to function and live the regular life. Like you were living before. Yeah. It takes work. It doesn't happen just like that. So you right now, normal, okay. absolutely normal. The fact that you know that you need to deal with that even better, Melinda.
0: Okay. Even better. Good okay? Cause I was kind of like, Oh my goodness. I can't n- not, not, Like, not go to the dentist, but, you know, if you told me, hey, Mal, you got to go this week, I'd be like, no, thanks. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Yep. Not yet. Um, So when you asked me why I cried, I think that's it. I think there was relief, but also that who's going to make sure I'm going to be okay. And then what was really touching is one of the nurses at the oral surgeons was there when I walked in after the hospital. I could barely walk and I couldn't open my mouth. Mm. And it was, and she saw me cry then. And then when I was leaving, she kind of like gave me a clap and Ooh. she's like, I was here in the beginning and we are so proud and so happy that you made it and that you're here. And then I started crying with her
2: and, um,
0: cause I think it's just the acknowledgement. I think of, it was so hard and so painful and so challenging and yet here I am. And I think I'm very aware of the other side, what could have happened. And so I think there's also the tears of being very, very grateful, um, that, that I am here, (laughs) that I'm still doing a podcast.
1: Yeah. Do you believe it though, that you made it through? Do you believe that you have a part of where you are right now? That's recovery.
0: I believe so. I believe so. I mean, again, imperfectly done. Could I've rested more and done? Yes. I believe so. I believe there's so many factors. I believe for me, like the prayers of thousands of people sustained us. I believe the commitment and love of Chris to me. I believe my mom and dad and family love and care. I mean, there's so many factors, but I also do believe that you could have all of those factors and yourself, you could choose not to, and you wouldn't be anywhere. So I know that- There's also that for me, Um, but I know that there's still more for me to do. I think there's like, even just us doing this, Debbie is really good for me to kind of process and think about some of the things that you're asking me and kind of going, okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? You know, going forward.
1: Do you feel like you are on the right track? And I say that because I wonder, you know, is... A resolution is, you know, um, a, a life free of the trauma in your future. Do you believe that for yourself, right now?
0: A life free of trauma.
1: Of this particular trauma.
0: Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, you yeah. know, I don't know. I don't know because I think when you're when you're talking about life and death and experiencing that, I think that leaves an imprint. On you that I don't think ever can go away. I mean, I've had traumatic experiences in my life as far as, you know, my divorce and abandonment and going through depression and going through some, you know, tough relationships and things. Um, And those, the memories don't haunt me in that way, but I do remember things and I do still feel Things, but I'm not overwhelmed by it. I'm not obsessed with it. But I do feel that moment if I if I go and think about it. So I don't think that would be any different than this. This might just be a little bit even, I think, deeper. Because it really was about, like I said, like life and death. It was. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, some of the traumas and crises I've been before were on my own doing. Like, I think I made poor decisions that put me into some tough situations or, um, bad decisions. And then some of those I own, this one felt like this was so not, I didn't go in and be like, okay, um, I'm choosing to be in trauma and go into ICU and die. This was a completely out of the blue. So I think there's that part where it was like, I wasn't in control of this. I, I don't, what happened to me, I don't own because I, happened to me I didn't choose for it whereas some of the other things it's like you know some of the relationships some of the things I chose to do were what am I doing mm. and then I'm like and then you know what I'm very clear about and I live with the consequence right. and then make the decision to you know
1: got it keep going I'm saying I think there's yeah. that
0: part you yeah. know yeah so for sure but I think there this will be a huge part of my story and part of understanding I think trauma and recovery going forward yeah I think so yeah
1: you know I wanted to ask you you know what is that what is that one thing that you would want people to know about your experience because you've learned a lot you've gone through a lot and there's so much there is there something that you want people to know about your experience
0: Oh, man. That'd be a good question. I will say this. You know, and I've said this to Chris and some close friends. I don't know how anybody can go through a crisis and trauma alone. Yeah. Like, I can't... um, I can't imagine going through this and not having Chris or my girlfriends or family, not with me. And not only that, but people committed to praying for you and thinking of you. And I I don't know. I mean, I I know it's hard because a lot of people have said to me, Mel, we don't have a community or we don't have friends. And I'm like, that's a two part thing for me. Mm -hmm. One part is you need to put yourself out there and find friends. And the other part is, man, everybody, people need friends. Be a friend. Like, yes, you know, like there will be people that are going to reach out and then you need to reach back. Or if you know that there are lonely people, then reach out, especially in the church community. Like this is what it means to love one another. And yeah. so for those, and so many people, Debbie, write to us on See Her Love and are like, How do I find a community? Where do I find a girlfriend? Where can I find friends or people that will care and love? And it's a hard question because, I mean, I have a very, very, very robust and beautiful community. And I've been told it's very unique. It's very rare what you have because I've got a lot of friends, a lot of people that really care deeply for Chris and I. and, And we saw that in the rallying of what happened. Yes, But I grieve the people who go through crisis and trauma in all forms family crisis health crisis and don't have anybody
1: alone and in that hospital without anybody I don't even
0: know what I don't know and you know what yeah. when I walked the ward when I could walk and I was shuffling my feet because it was either a blood thinner or get walking but I only could go short distances there were so many people in the hospital where I heard that no one had visited them there were some oh. that were getting visitors but there were people that didn't have any visitors ever And I'm just like, how would that be? How? I I don't know. And so I think if I was going to say the one thing of learning, I think before you go through a trauma, before anything happens, I think a priority for anybody is, and if you don't have it is find your community and friends. If it's a church or a, a sports group or something, find your tribe. And for the people who are listening reach out to people and bring them to your table, bring them into your life. People need people. People need friendship. People need, we cannot do this life alone.
1: We often wait for people to come to us. It's probably going to take you going to people and saying, I need you. I need you part of my tribe.
0: Exactly. And I think that's it. I think that's going to be the key because it's like, you know, I've heard people say, well, Mel, I have reached out and I'm, I haven't found any friends. And so, I commend those people, but then the people that they're reaching out to come on,
2: you know, maybe they're
0: not like you, maybe they're not like minded, but it's going to take all of us to help one another. And so I think that honestly, Debbie is, is one of the biggest things that for me was the biggest learning that we need people and God uses people to, to care for you, to love you, Really, essentially, I mean, I know we say it sounds sort of cliche to be his hands and feet, but that's literally what they do. Um, Absolutely. And so, I would say that's one of the biggest things. And I think the second thing—I know you only asked me for one, but it's me. So the second thing is, um, you know, you got to be kind to yourself. I, you know, kind to yourself in recovery. You know, I was frustrated with myself, but. I also had to remind myself to be kind that it was going to take a process for my mouth to open and eventually for me to eat something yummy. Um, Yes. Kind to myself that, you know, my, this would heal kind to myself that I kind of be back to, you know, to normal. Yeah. Um, And because the worst thing is for you to like throw yourself, you know, unkind words and thoughts and make yourself feel worse and you know, you're your worst enemy. So yes. I think being kind to yourself is one of the, the best things.
1: And you said it right there, you know, cause I was going to talk about some of the signs and symptoms of trauma,
0: but here it
1: is. If you are self-loathing and talking badly about yourself, if you are lonely, if you are noticing your mood swings, going up and down with no real rationale or explanation, these are signs of trauma. And it's about OK, something's mm. happened to me. I need to do something about it. And I love what you said there. And thank you for saying it about community, because when I talk about recovery from trauma, you know, you could do talk therapy. Absolutely. Mm. You want to talk it out if you're a talker and you need to verbalize it, do the therapy. But there are other things that can help as well. And being part of a community not alienating yourself or being lonely, but maybe it's dancing, maybe it's singing, maybe Mm -hmm. being part of the church group, you know, finding that church community, share space with other people and feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. That's part of the recovery because you can't do this on your own. And I found that my clients that I've had who have had their people recover from trauma, not necessarily faster, but just so much more, um, it's it's just beautiful to see that, yeah, I've recovered from trauma. This is why and this is how, because they've had their people around them, because mm-hmm. they've had those people to really uphold them and to really be able to support them. And so, Melinda, for you, that's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard from you. And so when I think about your recovery from trauma, because we're going to call it what it is, mm-hmm. it, it was a traumatic experience when I think about your recovery, I see it happening. I see it happening now. I don't see it being done. And you know that. You know that it's not done. But I just see it being a process for you, but you absolutely accomplishing it because mm-hmm. of who you are, what your mind frame is, and the people that are surrounding you. And that's-
0: Thank you, yeah. Debbie. You know, I think we need to do a part Ooh. two because... This really, this was really good. I think just to hear um, you acknowledging some of the things I'm going through and that's encouraging. I think recovery will take, you know, a while. And I think I'll have to come back to you and say, maybe you need to do a checkup on me and and another podcast and say, how are things going? What are you learning? But
1: absolutely, I'll do it.
0: Yeah. I so appreciate just you listening and encouraging, acknowledging Chris, giving me the space to process a little bit and share things I haven't really shared. Um, and I think the learning is really important. I think you're right. And, you know, the community and kindness are, are really key. And I am very thankful to God. Um, you know, again, it, it could have gone the other way. I, you know, I, I, there is a possibility it could have died, yeah. but I will say that with this opportunity of living, I think it even, solidifies more just what I'm to do and to keep following him. And, you know, I, I, there's just so much and, and it's kind of running in my, through my head, but I, I just thank you so much. I, I, today was a good day to have this talk and I'm feeling really encouraged out of this. So thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you so trusting much for
1: me, this. Melinda. Thank you. Yeah, it was thank so you.
0: good. <laughs> and so to our listeners and viewers, I so appreciate that you listened to our conversation where Debbie was host and I was being interviewed. Um, if you want to know more about Debbie, Debbie Mulder, M-U-L-D-E-R on social media, Instagram and Facebook. And if you are recovering or going through trauma, you are lonely, you're feeling discouraged, uh, you're a caregiver and you're feeling forgotten. I hope this conversation um, has encouraged you In knowing that you're not, that Mm -hmm. God is with you, that there may be, um, a time where you need to make some choices to, to put yourself out there and to find some friends. And if you are people who, you know, have capacity and are able and willing, please be friends, uh, to people that are looking. And as you do, as you go about this life that is hard and challenging, yet beautiful, really beautiful, know that you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply loved by God. Thank you so much
2: for joining us. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing See, Here Love. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.